If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Readsy. Readsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. We were kind of taught not to trust anyone we meet online, but... I still don't really understand how I do it. What are some of the worst possible things that could happen? That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. This is messed up. This is definitely a fake book. You need to call Amazon customer service immediately and get rid of this and, you know, prove that it's not yours and, and that your book is the real thing. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Bestseller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Addendum 5, To Trope or Not to Trope. I'm going to tell you a story. Stop me if you've heard it before. A young boy from a small village inherits a dangerous ring from his guardian. Then he is warned of its evil powers by an odd old man in white robes. So he and his friends set out on the road, headed towards an evil realm, encountering every orc, wizard, and talking tree under the sun on their quest to destroy it. Admit it, you probably stopped me after the first sentence, right? These days, just about everyone has heard the story of the Lord of the Rings. In the years since its publication in 1937, the influences of J.R.R. Tolkien's classic are everywhere, from the high fantasy of Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea series, to the sprawling medieval epic of Game of Thrones, to the mythological music of Led Zeppelin. With its characters and plot beats now an inseparable part of the pop culture zeitgeist, it's hard to remember a time when The Lord of the Rings was earth-shattering and original. In fact, it's enough to raise the question, was it ever that original to begin with? Tolkien himself might beg to differ. In interviews over the years, he's discussed the countless works that inspired his novels. Frodo's relationship with Gandalf, a powerful wizard with a white flowing beard who mentors the hero, might sound very familiar to readers familiar with King Arthur and Merlin from Lamorte to Arthur. The dwarvish symbols, now often used to pass coded notes in class by many a hobbit enthusiast, bear a marked similarity to runes from another story of an epic, dangerous trip, Jules Verne's journey to the center of the earth. And as for the core themes, good against evil, grace and humility triumphing over pride, according to Tolkien, those hail from one of the oldest and greatest stories ever told, the Bible. You know, there's no such thing as an original story anymore. That's not a bad thing, though. In fact, it's perhaps the oldest writing trick in the book. 
In her seminal work on teaching authors the art of reading like a writer, Francine Prose said, Long before the idea of a writer's conference was a glimmer in anyone's eye, writers learned by reading the work of their predecessors. As we discussed in Addendum 3, many cliches exist for a reason. But the truth is, not all archetypes are even cliches, no matter how often they're repeated. The Chosen One character type, for instance, a divinely ordained protagonist that exists in everything from Harry Potter to Star Wars to the Bible, crops up so often that it's not even considered a cliché. Instead, it's called a trope, a common convention or storytelling device that is subconsciously familiar to readers. We're all just kind of like recycling the same tropes and stuff, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the fun thing about writing is that you take perhaps a a trope or something that's been done before and you try to recreate it in a completely different way with your own voice. That voice, by the way, is Marlo York's. So my name is Marlo York and I'm a self-published author. She's the author of a young adult novel called Blood of Fire. And in many ways, it's a particularly unique one. So it's about a 17-year-old girl who lives in a peaceful farming village that is just completely decimated and destroyed by her government one day. And she realizes it, she realizes they destroyed it because they're searching for people who have um, like elemental powers. Mm. And she realizes that she's the last of her clan who can control and create fire. So she's sent on the run and she is captured by a, a neighboring clan that have similar abilities, except that they um, their abilities are related to animals. And so the, basically the story is of her trying to survive being a slave to these people while finding out about her powers and other powers that existed and still possibly exist in the world while the government is pursuing her. But in many ways, it's not. So it is a young adult fantasy novel There are hundreds of thousands of new novels published each year, and most of them are accessible on the internet with the click of a button. So these days, it's easier than ever to see parallels between newly published books and the millions that were published before them. Marlowe's novel boasts a truly original story, and yet many elements may still seem familiar to readers. Let's hear that plot description again. So it's about a 17-year-old girl who lives in a peaceful farming village that is just completely decimated and destroyed by her government one day. Her antagonist is none other than the government, a classic science fiction trope used by everyone from Orwell, Kafka, and Asimov to the Duffer Brothers in Stranger Things. She realizes that she's the last of her clan who can control and create fire. Her protagonist is the secret heir, a character raised in a humble situation who is secretly heir to a powerful lineage, like Shasta in The Horse and His Boy, or Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. So she's sent on the run. Then she sets off on the classic hero's journey, the three-stage plot structure trope that provides the backbone for countless young adult novels, in which the hero leaves the ordinary world to venture into the unknown. She is captured by a, a neighboring clan that have similar abilities then encounters trials and tribulations while she's there. So basically the story is of her trying to survive being a slave to these people while finding out about her powers. 
and in the course of this all, discovers the power she's had all along and becomes a true hero. So how is it possible for an original story to also have such familiar elements? To understand, we'll have to go back to Marlowe's earliest forays into writing. Like I started writing short stories when I was like seven years old. <laughs> wow. What was uh, one of your short stories as a seven, seven-year-old? <laughs> one of the very first ones I remember, um, it was a, this is kind of embarrassing, it was sort of a mashup between the Cartoon Network show Ed, Ed, and Eddie and the Disney movie The Phantom of the Megaplex. <laughs> and I turned it into The Phantom of the Gymnasium because, what's the word? Um, I hated gym class. <laughs> and so I took kind of the cast of Ed, Ed, and Eddie and made them sort of pursued by this elusive Phantom of the Gymnasium, which in the end turns out to be the gym coach, you know, being like the Scooby-Doo villain. That's awesome. I just remember writing it and I would write like a couple paragraphs and I was just so excited that I had created this unique idea and I needed to just share it with people. So, you know, bless my mom. (laughs) She had the patience to listen to every single new paragraph as soon as I added it. A mashup of a Cartoon Network classic and a Disney Channel original movie is a unique idea, but It's also not. It took elements of other stories, stories that Marla liked, stories that worked, and it turned them into something original. That is influence, and those elements are tropes. Of course, you probably shouldn't just take two pieces of pop culture that you like and combine them into one unholy behemoth of fan fiction in the vein of My Immortal. That's perfectly okay for a seven-year-old, just not for an adult considering self-publishing as a career. But it is okay for any author to take advantage of tropes. Readers favor original premises, it's true, but just like you and me, they also have favorite stories. And they might pick up a new novel simply because it reminds them of one they already love. Using your book's blurb to highlight any tropes you've used on purpose or identify any you may have accidentally used already might be a crucial selling point for new readers. And as most best-selling YA authors already know, integrating influences into your story while keeping them fresh is one of the most important tricks of the trade. What were your like initial inspirations for the novel? I've always loved the idea of like misfit characters with powers. I've never been big on like superhero anything, but for some reason just the whole X-Men franchise just really appealed to me because it is a story about misfits with mutations, with bizarre powers that people are afraid of. And some of them are good, some of them are bad. So like X-Men was definitely an influence. Um, also astrology and um, mythology. Because um, there are some aspects of like Viking culture and lore and Native American lore just kind of Stuff like that. That is where reading like a writer comes in. A trick Marlo York knows well. To be fair, it's a pretty easy one, and one many of us already do on accident. The first step, read. A lot. While you're reading, pay attention not just to the plot, but to how the writer is conveying it. Whose point of view is it told from? How is the book structured? How is dialogue used? You probably absorb a lot of these things subconsciously as you read anyways, so just start doing it consciously, and soon you'll have all the best author's tropes at your disposal. 
Oh, and in case you're worried, that won't make your story any less original. Above all else, understanding and embracing tropes will help you tell the story you want to tell in the precise way you want to tell it. I always had this idea that in order to be published, you had to go the traditional route. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was in college, I tried to submit some short stories and poems to literary magazines, and it was just constant rejection. Just constant, either, you know, this is nice, but it's not for us, or, you know, you would would just submit stuff and never hear anything back. And then, God, probably in like 2015, I realized that self-publishing was a thing and it was relatively easy to do. And I just thought, wow, I don't have to ask for permission. I can tell this story the way I want to tell it. And so Marlo did just that. I just wanted to actually finish a novel at some point because I think a lot of writers can relate to this when I say that I have way more half-finished manuscripts than I have finished novels. I really just wanted to finally finish something, and then it was probably partway through the writing uh, process that I realized I could eventually publish this, and that only just made me really want to finish it, because then I actually had a tangible goal to reach. So how long did the, the writing process take you? I know I did most of Blood of Fire during uh, 2015, the 2015 NaNoWriMo. Let's stop there a second. NaNoWriMo, as all of you probably already know, is National Novel Writing Month, an annual contest held online urging writers to finish a 50,000-word manuscript in the month of November. And, as all of you probably already know, actually finishing a manuscript during NaNoWriMo is much easier said than done. I'm a full-time SEO analyst, so I don't even write full-time. Um, it's basically my part-time job at this point, and I mean, money. I mean, I just didn't have the funds to do a lot of professional editing and cover design. You know, I had to sometimes save up money for a few months before I could buy those things. So money and time are always the two big things that uh, prevent me from finishing projects like that. That is yet another reason Marlowe embraced tropes. Particularly when you're short on time, falling back on your influences can be a great way of just getting words on the page. I knew that if I didn't do this every single day, then it probably wasn't going to happen. After you've got those words down, you've got plenty of time to pick through them and make sure the story you're telling is still your own. Well, I realized it wasn't finished by the time I ended NaNoWriMo. Um, I ended the month probably around 65,000 words, and I realized that there was still more to tell. And then I published it in 2018, so I would say about three years from start to finish. And, just like that, a mere month plus three years later, you've got yourself a book. This item that's been on my bucket list for pretty much my entire life has been accomplished. So I was kind of like, wow, I did it. But then, you know, the workaholic side of my brain kicked in and said, no, you're not quite done just yet. You've got more work to do. (laughs) And just then, right when Marlo had finally gotten her story out into the world, she experienced firsthand the danger of tropes. When someone crosses the line between inspiration and appropriation. Do you want to really quickly also uh, walk the listeners through the other event uh, when your book went up on Amazon? It being stolen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so um, it was, let's see, I published in January 2018 and I went on Amazon in November 2018 and I just wanted to see how many reviews I had. So I searched for my title and I found something that was very much not my book, but had my name and my title and I clicked on it and I realized I'm reading through all the information that someone had stolen my book. They probably stole it from the, um, the Kindle version somehow, copied it. Um, but yeah, I just realized that someone had managed to take my book and was somehow trying to sell it under my name, but because it wasn't actually under my Amazon um, KDP account, I had no power to get rid of it. Uh, first thing I did was panic <laughs> for a few minutes. Um, it was just really scary to think because that's what a lot of um, writers fear that if I put my book online, then it's just free game. Someone's just going to try and steal it. And, you know, I've read about that beforehand and plenty of people say, oh, no, the odds of that happening are pretty slim. And while I agree with that, um, I'm proof that it does happen. I won't insult your intelligence and pretend the line between influence and straight-up plagiarism is a tricky one to toe. Whoever stole Marlo York's novel and tried to pass it off as their own knew exactly what they were doing, and it's one of the most insulting things you can do to anyone who has spent years trying to get their own original idea out into the world. What was what was the feeling of... Um you know, you, you have this idea that, as I mentioned, seems so original, uh, and suddenly it's up online and someone else is trying to claim it for their own. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, first I was shocked. Then I was just extremely angry because, yeah, those are exactly what you said. I worked for years developing this idea, fleshing it out, going through all the work and all the expense, and then some stranger from who knows where has the audacity to steal it. I mean, I was angry. But as long as you can avoid crossing that obvious and obviously unethical line, embracing your influences isn't just okay, it's preferred. Writers, especially of young adult fiction, must learn to read like a writer, then identify tropes, then put their own spin on them. Those are the building blocks, not just of young adult fiction, but of writing itself. Someone in one of my writing groups, you know, once all this blew over, they said, you know, as terrible as this is, it's kind of a compliment that someone thought your book was good enough to steal. And I was like, ah, you know, that's kind of dark humor, but I think you're right. <laughs> Not that I think that it's funny or that that makes it okay, but I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm onto something. I don't know. We all grow up on stories we like. Some of us want to tell ones like them, and some of us want to tell our own unique ones. Marlo York did both. That's the amazing thing about young adult fiction. No matter your differences, you can always find a home. Uh, who's your favorite X-Men? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I really, you know, I really like Mystique. Yeah. Um, at first I didn't because she's, you know, a bad guy, but then once I really understood that she is kind of a misunderstood villain, um, you know, she has like a really great, she has a lot of great lines actually, but one that stuck with me was, um, someone's asking her, 
if you can change your shape, your appearance to look normal, to look like everyone else, why don't you do that all the time? And she says, because we shouldn't have to. And that really stuck with me a lot. It's kind of, there's some ideas like that in my story too, where these people have these powers and they're perceived as dangerous, but it's like, they're not necessarily. And at some point they do need to try to reclaim their place in the world because they shouldn't have to be feared just because they're different. Brought to you by Reedsy, this is Best Seller. Over the course of these addendums, we'll check in with a handful of indie authors to get their unique takes on the journey to self-publication. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Casimir M. Stone. If you liked it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Our guest today was Marlo York. You can purchase her book, Blood of Fire, on Amazon. You can also follow her on Instagram at Marlo York or on Twitter at Marlo underscore York. That's M-A-R-L-O-W underscore Y-O-R-K. This podcast, like so many self-published books out there, is made possible by Readsy, a marketplace that connects indie authors with the tools that traditional publishing houses would usually provide, such as editors, book cover designers, and publicists. You can learn more about Readsy on Instagram at Readsy underscore HQ, on Twitter at Readsy HQ, or online at R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. And please keep your eyes peeled for more Addendum episodes, as well as the premiere of our third season, coming soon to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice.